What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the next installment of the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am your host, Adil Royster, Chill Ride, Chill Vibes. Uh, once again, recording on location at my regular nine to five office. Um, I should be eating lunch right now, but I'm not because I wanted to do this podcast with Steve Littman because there's a lot of Josh Richardson for Spencer Dinwiddie talk coming out of Liberty Ballers and Sixers Twitter. So Steve penned a column last week. And yeah, we're just going to get into this. I've got Steve on the line. How you doing, my friend? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me again. It's good to talk to you. And I hope you do have time to get something to eat at some point. I, I mean, I'm probably, I'm sure I'll like sneak out or something. Just grab All right, some, good. some Wawa because it's literally right up the street. Okay. Um, good. Yeah, exactly. Wawa is the best. I'm sorry. It's, it it's all the, it's all the 7-Elevens and, and the sheets people or whatever. Like just no. not even close. Yeah. Just, no. Wawa is king. I'm sorry. Yes. And you can come in my mentions if you want to. Matter. <laughs> You're just going to be wrong. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of Richardson for Dinwiddie talk, and you kind of made the point that it makes all too much sense, but I kind of want to start with when the sign-and-trade, I should I should preface, when yeah. the sign-and-trade for Jimmy Butler happened, Jason Richardson was kind of the focus of the trade. It was kind of like, oh, we're losing Jimmy Butler, but hey, we're getting Josh Richardson, who's younger and can kind of do the same things. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, you have to start from where the Sixers were at that point, which is that they were sort of getting lucky in that Butler decided to go to a team that didn't have the cap space to outright sign him. So in order for him to get onto the Heat's roster, they had to work a sign and trade. Uh, for whatever reason, the Sixers decided that they were done with Butler, and obviously that is sort of bandied about every night on social media. But at the time, it was like, if Butler's out the door, getting a guy like Josh Richardson who can do a number of things and is a good defender and uh, all that, it seemed like a perfectly fine uh, worst-case scenario because otherwise you're just losing a guy uh, for nothing. So for nothing. Uh, I didn't think it was bad to, to get him at the time. Uh, you know, the rest of it sort of ended up putting him behind the eight ball. And there's always that whole thing when anybody has a high-priced free agent and they're going for, like, a new contract – there's always the, oh, get what you can for this guy if he's already got one foot out the door. That's why exactly. I never, that's why I'll never understand why the, I don't know, is Jimmy Butler hatred the right word? Because like he already <laughs> had a foot out the door anyway. So like, whatever. The, you know, there's so many different ways that people, you know, the, the answer is that we'll never really know what exactly it was that like, was it Butler who made up his mind that he's just not coming back and, and, and it's over? Or was it, the Sixers who said, you know, we're out of the Jimmy Butler business, which is what Woj said. And I think it's probably somewhere in the middle where uh, Simmons and him was a sort of imperfect fit because they both want to control the ball. And 
the Sixers did not want to move off of Ben for a guy who was probably six years older than him. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand it. Uh, I, I, of course, wish they could have worked it out because I just think that Butler provided such a needed element to this team and, and alongside Embiid. Uh, but, you know, clearly that's over now. And they ended up with Richardson. And he was obviously much better than nothing uh, to get him. That leads me to this question. Where did the Sixers go wrong exactly with Josh Richardson? Because he kind of had an off year considering what he was in Miami. You know, so you look at Josh and it's like I, I sort of uh, have have empathy for him in one way, which is like, in the right situation, Philly fans would just love this guy. Like, yeah, 100%. Richardson is a dog on the court. He guards with his all of his life. Like, he plays hard. Like, he seems like everybody likes him in the locker room. The problem was that the way the roster was constructed made Josh the only guard in the starting lineup. And at that point, when Josh is the only guard in the starting lineup, you need that guard to be able to do a bunch of different things offensively. You right. need them to be able to get to the rim and make free throws and find guys on a short roll and to hit open threes. And Richardson is an average sort of at best three-point shooter. So, like, we were not able to appreciate him for what he's good at because he just wasn't the guard that this team needed. But I, I just – I don't think that's his fault. Like, I feel like the fault is on the Horford signing and on not modernizing the roster around him. Uh, everything I, everything always comes back to the Horford side. I know, but podcast. like if you look around the league, look at like Pat Beverly <laughs> and look at uh, Marcus Smart. Like they're offensively limited guards who play key roles oh, yeah. on good teams by being great defenders and great team players. So like, I really think that it's a shame the way that he was surrounded on this team because I don't think that Sixers fans were able to appreciate a guy like him because he really is a useful player. And I'm sure for the rest of his career, he's going to be useful on teams going forward. And you talk about offensively, uh, Jay Rich as the only guard, he was asked to do a whole lot just through synergy sports. Their numbers have him below average in transition and just average in the half court, but somehow he was excellent in off screens or isolations. What? Like, I I don't know how that checked out. I know. I guess I'm not sure. We have seen him at times go and get a bucket. Uh, Like, he's actually very proficient in the mid-range, which is like the Sixers didn't need more guys that were very good in the mid-range. Yeah, we have plenty of that. Exactly. They've got enough guys that need to be close to the basket. Uh, So that's another part of it that, like, as much as Richardson didn't help the Sixers spacing, the Sixers' other spacing didn't help him operate, you know? No. Uh, and he's not a particularly quick decision maker. So when your wing guys are him and Harris, they're both sort of methodical guys with the ball. So it can be a lot of over dribbling. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are numbers that definitely like him. And I'm sure like the defensive metrics like him too. And I, I love coming into the year, the defensive trio of him and Simmons and Embiid. And I don't think that uh, – I don't think that he proved us otherwise on the defense. It just ended up being what we needed out of that position. And I think what was jarring for a lot of people, especially me, like I knew how really good Josh Richardson was on the defensive side of the ball. And when I look at what he did offensively, it kind of left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. It's like how good he was defensively 
didn't quite offset how average he was offensively. Does that, does that make, does that make sense? Is that something that you kind of struggle with too? Yeah. I mean, when I was just thinking about the opening game of last season, which feels like a decade ago now, but it was us against the Celtics and coming into the year, there were like two big things. It's like, you need to solve the backup center thing and you need to get guys who can guard like a quick ball handler better. And in that game, they beat the Celtics by double digits and, Richardson and Thibault combined to like hound Kemba Walker all game. He had a terrible game and right. indeed only had to play like 24 minutes. Uh, so I remember coming out of that game and it was like, wow, maybe the moves they made were just the exact right things that they needed to solve those two problems. At the end of the day, you know, the season bore out that what they needed more than anything was a guard who could get a bucket at the end of the shot clock at the end of a game. Uh, which, you know, all of that sort of adds up to make it much harder to appreciate things that Richardson is good at because the things he's good at, the team already had surrounding him. You know, there are enough defenders on the team that they really needed, uh, you know, that's when you look at a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's sort of the opposite uh, in terms of skill sets as Richardson. So let's say that Richardson isn't traded before we get into the conversation Mm -hmm. of actually trading him. Um, (laughs) Is, is there any way the, that he could still have that best-case scenario role? And if he can, what exactly would that be? So, you know, I think about that, and I think about, you know, what are, what are the, who are the guys that might be available? The Sixers have no cap room, so anybody that's going to be out there is going to have, to have to be had via a trade. And you need to do some addition by subtraction with the Horford thing. If they're able to, you know, incentivize a team enough, like Oklahoma City for Chris Paul – and you have Chris Paul in the starting lineup and Chris Paul is going to control the ball and he's a good shooter and all that sort of stuff. Maybe then you can keep Richardson on the team and he can play a much more secondary or even tertiary uh, role. The problem that they get into though, is that Richardson is like the only guy with a positive value contract. So yes, it's hard to swing those other trades without, sending Thibault without sending Milton, without attaching Richardson to Horford to make something happen. You know, it's really tough. So I, the answer is yes. I do think that there is a way that uh, if they are able to pull off enough trades that are incentivized with picks and stuff that he could be appreciated on this team. I don't think that uh, that's likely. I think that they end up needing to move Richardson because he's their best uh, trade chip that they're willing to give entering the last year of his deal. I guess that kind of answers my next question. What's more likely to happen? Horford is traded with, you know, the 21st pick or some combination of second round picks, or is Horford traded with Richardson? Yeah. I I mean, at this point, I think that I would put money on both of them not being on the Sixers next year. Wow. I think that, you know, we were just talking about Richardson and I, I think that he's, Entering the last year of his deal, these owners are not going to go further into the tax to extend Richardson. Um, And this is just, you know, they need something in their starting lineup and in their guards on the team that he just doesn't provide, which is, you know, sort of what it is. And Horford, I I know that he's got a bad contract. I don't think there's any way that they can sell bringing him back after this year. I think that, like, in terms of Embiid, in terms of the, the players who matter on this team, they sort of need to find a way out of that. And I think that, honestly, they should do it sooner rather than later because maybe a team will say, he's Al Horford, we know who he is. This year right. he's Mulligan, it was a bad fit. 
the, the contract's only two more years. You know, he can contribute to winning on, in the right situation. So, yeah, my guess would be that both of them are not on the Sixers. And it, it has to be said that nobody's really going into the luxury tax probably for the next couple of seasons, at least maybe the, at next year for sure, because we don't really know yet how many games are going to be played yet. Like it right. could be anywhere between, I guess, 60 and 70. Yeah, I mean, so, the, that's the other part of it that makes Josh all the more likely to get traded is that, like, these balloon contracts with Horford and Harris might be even harder to move given the financial state of the new CBA and of the league. And, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. So uh, a guy like Josh, who's on such a, you know, fair contract, I feel like that's about what he should make at that $10 million. Uh, I feel like that makes him a very appealing guy on a lot of teams. Now let's talk about the swap. Yeah. Richardson for Dinwiddie. We'll, we'll start straight up and then we'll move into like semantics later on. Uh, here's what I do like about Dinwiddie. Uh, according to Synergy Sports, almost so 0.889 points per possession in pick and roll and then 0.951 points per possession in ISO. That's not too shabby. Yeah. For a team that desperately needs to run more pick and roll and have somebody that's more of a shot creator. Yeah. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, Sixers fans know him. He always kills the Sixers. I feel like this. Every time. Every time we play him, he just lights us up. Spencer Uh, Dinwiddie, Marcus Smart, two players that are only good against the Sixers. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So what I love about Dinwiddie is that he gets to the line a lot. You know, I think that uh, he gets to the line about seven times a game. And when you think of him and Embiid, if you can just guarantee 15 free throws a night between those two guys, I think that would be really a really nice thing to, to have. And if you look at his basketball reference stats and you see 30% from three, that's obviously not great. But that's, I no, think that's that, something I don't like. That's something right. I'm not a no, fan no, of. of course. I think that he was doing a good amount of jacking there after Kyrie went out. And if you delve a little deeper into his numbers, his catch and shoot numbers from three were much better. And his, you know, his, his numbers with one dribble rather than, you know, more than one, which is sort of, shows how the offense moves a bit quicker. It's not completely perfect, but he's entering the last year of his deal too. Uh, and just as a guy who can handle the ball and, you know, he's a good, a good uh, theoretical fit with Simmons because they can, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie can work on and off ball. So while Ben has it at the nail or at the free throw line, he can find Dinwiddie. So yeah, there's a lot to like about him. And uh, given their respective situations, that's what I feel like helps it. Uh, look like such a good fit for both teams. That's what I kind of got hung up on too, just the percentages. And then after I saw the percentages, I kind of broke it down. I was just like, wait a minute. They went from having Kyrie and KD to not having either of those guys. And they switched coaches midseason. So Dinwiddie probably did a lot of jacking, plus the fact that he's only got one year left on his deal, plus a player option. He's trying to, as we like to say on the podcast, uh, secure the bag. Right. So when I broke that all down, like I felt much better about him. And I definitely felt really good about something that you pointed out that last year he averaged seven plus free throws attempts per game. Very promising for me. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, then you look at the two teams and, and why it makes sense. You know, it's easy for Sixers fans to look at the trade machine and, 
if it says the trade is successful, it's like, well, there you go. Or if yeah. Butler, there it is. It's done. But if you look at, you know, look at Brooklyn coming into this year and what do they have? They have a ton of offense. You know, they have Kyrie and Durant who are both going to get probably close to 20 shots a game. Karis Levert is there. I mean, they would probably trade him in the right deal if, if you get a Bradley Beal or something. But other than that, he's going to be there. And he's another high-volume shooter. What they don't really have is a guard to defend opposing Anyone. <laughs> right. So you've got Kyrie, who's not a good defender. Levert's not a good defender. Uh, Dinwiddie, for you know, as much as I like him, he's not a, an accomplished or particularly committed defender. So it seems like a guy like Richardson, who doesn't need a lot of shots, who doesn't need really anything, he can just float around and scrap for offensive rebounds and just dog the other team's starting guard. Whereas the Sixers would be getting a guy who sacrifices some defense, but they've got defense everywhere. So they can just get a guy who can get a bucket and who can find others uh, and get to the line himself. I don't think that it, it might not exactly be one for one. You know, you might see a second rounder coming here or there or, or a second round swap, something like that. But I think the, nucle- the nucleus of it makes a lot of sense. I won't stand for too much Karis LeVert slander on this podcast, <laughs> but I do agree with you with the fact that he's not great defensively. Uh, he's great, I, though. He's, I, he's love missing, be, I love me some Karis LeVert. Yeah. Were Dinwiddie to become a member of the Sixers? Um, this could be a really stupid question, but he would be in the starting lineup right away, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you wonder what else happens this offseason because I don't think you're just seeing one move, you know, like – if the Sixers figure out a, a Chris Paul thing uh, with Horford and with other stuff, including picks and maybe young guys, is your new backcourt Paul and Didwitty? I mean, now you're getting into fantasy land sort of stuff, but uh, yeah, I do yeah, think this that is Din- very NBA 2K. Exactly. Issue. No, I do think that Dinwiddie's a starter there. And I think you see a lot of Shake Milton off the bench. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You brought up the point about Dinwiddie defensively. And with Simmons, who was first team all defense last year, and with Embiid, who is who has been defensive uh, NBA all defense several times in his career, mm-hmm. is how much of an issue really is that? Uh, I don't, I honestly don't think much. He's not like a liability. Teams aren't picking on him. You know, it's not like Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics, Isaiah He's Thomas not J.J. Redick out there is what I'm trying to say. No, I mean, Dinwiddie's 6'6", too, and he has long arms. So, you know, if you, if Doc Rivers can get buy-in from him, I, I don't see any real issue uh, in terms of putting him on the easiest assignment on the other team. Now, that's especially helpful and especially doable if the team is able to keep Thibault this summer or this whatever month it is, this offseason. This offseason. Yeah. (laughs) We brought it up, and we have to talk about the numbers since we're talking about the luxury tax and all like that. Uh, Jason Richardson, uh, he is on the books for $10.9 million this year, and then he's got an 11.6 
million dollar player option next year. Dinwiddie is 11.4 this year with a 12.3 player option next year. So monetarily, it's an even swap within the cap rules where right. like, you go in the trade machine, uh, Dinwiddie for Richardson, bang, you're good. Right. That's not going to be enough, is it? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, the Sixers have five picks in this upcoming draft. I really don't think this is a first round uh, pick like that you need to attach that much to Richardson. Uh, whether they throw in like a lottery ticket like Zaire Smith, who brings them more defense, uh, whether they just go into those four second rounders, you know, they've got two very attractive ones in the thirties. They've got one in the forties and one in the fifties. Uh, I don't, especially with this front office and what they've shown, I have no problem with them attaching second rounders to get better players on the team because I have no confidence in them using the second rounders. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that probably a second rounder changes hands there from the Sixers, but I don't think it's a ton more, you know, their points per game is very different, but in terms of affecting winning on the court, uh, there's a good chance that Brooklyn might, you know, be a fan of Richardson and uh, not be too disillusioned by sort of a crappy season in Philadelphia overall. Which second round pick would you be willing to part with? Because I don't know if I would trade that really early second round. I think it's like 34 or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? Uh, I think I would do the one in the 40s. I would do that one and maybe a future one. You know, the Sixers have a ton of uh, uh, picks in the, in the sort of uh, – in the holster from years past and trade yeah. past. So, yeah, I would – you know, it doesn't have to be this year. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't give up either of the 30s picks because I do feel like they could be packaged to move up to later in the first round uh, if there's somebody the Sixers like there. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't touch those. But I would – you know, any of the ones after that or in following years, I would definitely look into you brought up Zaire Smith. He kind of has a little like Jay Rich in him, especially right. defensively. I feel like this might be too much, but maybe there, but maybe there's no way Brooklyn says no to this. So Jason Richardson plus Zaire plus like a pick in the forties for Dinwiddie. Is that too much? You think? For yeah, for me that's too much. You know, Zaire. I I really feel bad for Zaire because like he's just had the worst luck ever. So do I. Being drafted by the Sixers. I mean, it's really tough. I liked him out of college. I thought that the trade on draft night was a perfectly like good value trade. Uh, it didn't end up well, obviously, because McCall Bridges is good and and Zaire just didn't get any playing time. I I don't foresee any playing time for him really this year, uh, unless. A lot of stuff moves around, but uh, he's he's a guy who projects as a really good defender uh, and and an okay shooter, depending on on how that develops. But yeah, I think that he's a lottery ticket. Like I think that teams around the league might ask for him as a sweetener in you know like your Horford trade and in uh, you know if if they're possibly able to move off of Harris, which I highly doubt. But uh, yeah, I think that he's a lottery ticket. I would not include him in that in that deal. I think that. I would say it's one or the other in terms of the second rounder or him. Uh, I don't think that he's in line for any minutes really this year on Doc Rivers Sixers, uh, barring big injuries, but yeah. Catastrophic so I, injuries. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would expect him to be elsewhere, whether that's attached to somebody else, you know, there's a lot of moving around. I think the Sixers need to do. Josh Richardson has been known as a good locker room, good character kind of a person. And with a new coach, you kind of need, those guys and especially with the Sixers having Embiid and 
you know, this may or may not be a thing, but Embiid likes to have, you know, his friends in the locker room. We saw it with Jimmy Butler. We kind of saw it with J.J. Redick and uh, Luke Mbamute, players like that. Spencer Dinwiddie, like, I don't know too much about his – his his character, and this is part of a mailbag question that we got. Mm-hmm. He's chosen to represent himself as an agent, and there's just a couple of red flags with me about that. And I'm just thinking to myself, ooh, how 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 much in his head is this guy? You know, I don't. I I'm starting to remember from months ago. He was getting like super into Bitcoin, and he wanted his contract. Yeah. And- Bitcoin, which is definitely like a strange thing, but you know, I, I don't understand the first thing about Bitcoin. More power to you, whatever you want to do. Sure. Um, I think that uh, him representing himself is a bold move, definitely. But uh, you've seen it happen in the NFL where players have done that and made it work and gotten good guaranteed money. So I think, you know, athletes having more ownership over their careers is a good thing. Uh, I just think you should be careful because I wouldn't want to see the league taking advantage of him. Uh, in terms of his personality in the locker room, I don't know a ton about that. You know, I know that he was part of the recruiting effort to get Kyrie into Brooklyn or to get them a meeting with Brooklyn. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have anything that sticks out other than being a bit strange and mercurial. But yeah. I think that, uh, you know, the, in terms of the culture in the Sixers locker room, that has to be on three guys, which is Doc Rivers and Bede and Simmons. So mm-hmm. I need the two of those young players to really come into their own as leaders. Uh, so when a guy who's like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's coming into the locker room, he's going to have to know how it goes and how, you know, how the culture is going to develop there. So that is a big improvement that I will definitely be looking for from the two of them this season, because it, it's getting past the point where they're young players, where it's like, no, you guys are the stars and you need to really take control of the franchise. You guys really need to have voices because, right. yes, we understand that Tobias is the oldest starter. Yeah. But at the same time, like, that's – he's not – I don't think he's that comfortable in that kind of a role at all. I mean, I love I love Tobias and, like, everything that he's doing socially and politically. And I, I think he's, like, a wonderful guy to have – in the locker room and on the team and that he shows a lot of like good vibes in terms of uh, the team's togetherness. And oh, I would love to have Tobias the on the podcast. Uh, I would yeah, love great. to have Tobias on the podcast. He's great. Um, but he shouldn't be like the leader of the team. Like he, you, you need that to be your best players. Like I, I feel like more ownership has to be on Embiid and Simmons at this point. I would agree. Yeah. The new coach, Doc Rivers coming in, there's going to be all this, again, new coach, and we're going to have new, possibly new players. Dinwiddie, Horf is going to be off the books, et cetera, et cetera. Like, with Dinwiddie on the roster, what kind of team could Doc kind of formulate, like, offensively? It's interesting. Um, you know, Doc, in his past, he's used a lot of different guys. He obviously coached Chris Paul and ran a ton of pick and rolls with him. Uh, Blake Griffin, so he's had sort of a – Tom West wrote something on Liberty Bowlers recently about uh, Blake and, and the way that he was using Blake as sort of a 6'10 playmaker, you know. Which and is, had Tom on the podcast about Right, this. which is similar to, uh, to Ben Simmons. And, you know, he always has this archetype, it seems like in every team, Doc Rivers has this runoff screens shooter, you know, whether that's J.J. Redick or Landry Shamit or, you know, Eddie House back in the Boston days. Uh, so I think it's interesting to see 
where he's going to get that. You know, he want, he usually wants a guy to get buckets off the bench. Now maybe that's Shake Milton or maybe it's somebody else. You know, Alec Burks did it at a pretty uh, inefficient rate, but he's definitely going to be an option. Uh, Korkmaz in terms of that runoff screen shooter is an option, but he's a lot slower than guys like Redick and Shamit. He's, he's a really good shooter and I'm sure that he'll get minutes, but you need somebody pretty athletic, you know, even if it isn't vertically, horizontally, to, to run those kind of sets. And I think that they would love to reinvigorate the sort of dribble handoff game that Embiid had with Redick. I think that was a big part of the offense back then. Yeah, I just need over the next like month, month and a half or whatever it is of the offseason, I just want Shake and Furkan training in, the, in Camden and just doing nothing with sprints and just on right. a treadmill. Right. It's just cardio. You're just running around, coming off screens and shooting. I'm with like you. the Reggie Miller training regiment. That's what I want them on. Yeah, uh, Shake's a baller. I really think that he's like legit, and I think that what we saw from him last year was real, and it's only going to get better. So yeah, I believe in Shake. Dinwiddie's making a lot more sense to me as the days go on, mm-hmm. and your best educated percentage and I know that's a, I know this is like ridiculous hot plate boiler talk kind of but what's the percentage of chance he's actually in a Sixers uniform next season you know it's hard because you look at uh it, it's Dinwiddie or it's any other player in the league you know so it's like when you weigh it like that the, the percentage is probably 50 50 <laughs> yeah I mean less you know it's like it, it's it's probably less because then you look at teams like Dallas like Dallas could use a guy like Richardson to go uh, and the Sixers could really use a guy like Seth Curry or a guy like Tim Hardaway. So there are other teams in the league that uh, – and maybe the Sixers would want to stay out of conference, you know, and not do that sort of thing. I think, you know, Brooklyn may think about that more than the Sixers. But I think that there's a good chance that it happens. I think that uh, it just makes a lot of sense for both teams that, you know, both teams have something the other wants. So I would, you know, maybe 30%. Uh, but but I really think the percentage of Richardson getting moved for somebody that helps more uh, is much higher and much higher than fifty percent. Luca and Dinwiddie on the scene on the same team seems a little unfair to me, but whatever. Right? Yeah. I mean, or just adding Josh <laughs> next to Luca to guard the guys that he doesn't want to guard. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I I have I have kind of an issue with Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract, but mm-hmm. I mean. Right. I, I guess I wouldn't mind too hard if he's still shooting as well as he has in recent years. Yeah, I mean, Dallas is an interesting Horford possibility because they were interested in him last year before the Sixers signed him. And, you know, it would really be trading, you know, in some ways a dollar for four quarters. You know, like you trade Horford with his big contract and then you get, uh, you know, a Curry and a Hardaway or a Hardaway and a DeLon Wright, you know, that sort of thing where now the Mavericks have a guy who wants to defend centers and Horford and the Sixers have guys who can do stuff with the ball from the guard position. So I would be interested in them too, if the Chris Paul thing doesn't happen. I feel like Dallas wanted Horford even before last year. Didn't they take a run at him before he signed with Atlanta? Yeah. I think. Well, or in between Atlanta and Boston, I think they did. Listen, Horford, people still want that Horford. People still want him. Yeah. We (laughs) all hope so. (laughs) Uh, Steve Lippman, uh, the post, the, the column that he posted will be mentioned in the podcast description. Uh, Josh Richardson for Spencer Dinwiddie makes all too much sense. Makes hell of a lot more sense to me now that I talk to you <laughs> about it and just more of the thinking about it. 
So appreciate you coming on and dropping the knowledge for everybody. Thank you, buddy. It's great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Likewise. Uh, tell the fine people how to find you. Uh, I'm at Steve J. Littman on everything. And, uh, you know, the podcast, just uh, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You'll get all of them. Including the one that Steve is on. And I'll let him just give you the name because me saying it does it no justice. It's the Gastroenteritis Blues. <laughs> Dan Volpone and Emily Anderson. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm still trying to get on that, by the way. It's like, oh, my God. We'd love to have you. Anytime. Listen, just throw up the bat signal and just oh listen. Oh, my God. I mean, me and Emily might go on like a bachelor riff. So if you we just talked that, about this. Fine. We were just right. talking about the bachelorette. So you're, okay. you're right at home. All right, cool, cool. I'm, I'm definitely down. So let's just, get that on the books. Let me know whenever. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. Thanks for coming on. See you. Appreciate the time. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you later. All righty. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.